0: Well good evening. Good to see you all gathered out tonight. Please turn again to the book of Revelation. Revelation 13. Revelation 13 just before we uh, pause for a moment's prayer tonight. Revelation 13 we want to think tonight we started off last week looking at the the beast that we read off in Revelation 13 and we thought a little bit about his biography and filled in a wee bit of detail about his background and now we want to think uh, from verses 4 through 11 about the control that he will have and uh, what application it has even for our lives today but let's just uh, come before the Lord this evening and let's just uh, pause in the Lord's presence and let's just focus afresh even for the reason why we're here tonight but let's just pray father we thank you for your goodness to us afresh. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here in this place. Father, we thank you that we are able to come aside even during the week and to spend time looking at your precious word, to spend time looking at the things which are to happen ahead. Father, we realize that as believers we will be long off the scene by the time these events unfurl. But Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can still continue to learn from your word. And Father, we just pray tonight that you would give help. Father, help us to clear our minds of everything that has preoccupied us today, uh, what will occupy our minds tomorrow and the rest of the week. And Father, just help us to focus on your word. Help us also whenever we come to pray, Lord. We pray that we would have that fervency in prayer, that we would have that energy, that we would be uh, boldly approaching the throne of grace. We would be making our wants and petitions known. And Father, we just pray that you would give help even in these things. Father, we just pray tonight that you would... Uh, be with those that aren't able to be here tonight. We pray that you would bless them even in their own souls. Father, for those who are tuning in online to this part of our meeting, Father, we pray that you would bless them also and help them even as they follow along. Father, I pray for your help just now. Pray that you would fill me afresh with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And also for those in the pew, Father, we just pray that you would fill them afresh and you would give them wisdom and discernment. Ethan, this evening we pray. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Revelation chapter uh, 13. And let's just begin to read again at verse 1. And let's read through uh, verse 10. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which... I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast and they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast and they worshipped the beast saying who is like unto the beast. Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Amen. We'll end it there at verse 10. Last week, Very briefly we thought about uh, the delivery of the beast in verse 1 where this uh, character came from and then we thought a little bit about the description of the beast in the next two verses and we thought a little bit about how he would have the attributes of Satan, his father if you like, We also thought about how he would have the attributes of his family in verse 2, and we thought about all the different uh, kingdoms and different things pertaining to that. And we also thought a little bit about how he would have his family's fortune. But this week we want to move it on a wee bit and get through chapter 13 a little bit more. And we want to think, beginning in verse uh, 3, we want to think a little bit more about the delusion, as it were, of the beast in verses 3 and 4. And in that, We have a number of things. Look at verse 3 with me, and I want you to see, first of all, the wound of the beast. The wound of the beast. You see, something is going to happen which will shock the world. Look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, underline those three words, as it were, wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. You see, the beast has been allowed to continue, if you like, unopposed, are unchallenged for about maybe three and a half years at this point. And then uh, to fill in a little bit more of the detail, if you come over to Revelation 17 and verse 10, it'll help us fill in a bit of colour here and what's going on. Revelation 17 and verse 10. Revelation 17 verse 10 tells us and there were and there are rather seven kings. Five are fallen and one is or one is currently and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space or a short time. But as we have read back in Revelation 13, we see that something has happened. This beast, this character, this Antichrist has been uh, mortally wounded. He's been wounded personally. And he's been wounded in a very definite and deadly uh, way. For some reason, my wee clicker ain't working. I'm going to blame my wee one. There we go. The wound of the beast but miraculously, as it says in verse 3, as it were, wounded to death, his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. It seems to be a miraculous thing and of course the fallout from that is that the world wonders or marvels or it's astounded at how this could happen. How on earth is this possible? That word wonder can be translated stunned. How the wound is sustained? Well, some people uh, would take the view that it's maybe some form of assassination. It could be an assassination attempt made against uh, this Antichrist, maybe at some uh, big banquet or maybe some sort of ceremonial procession. You know the types of things you see on the news and maybe with all the, the cameras rolling and the mobile phones out filming, all these different things, maybe an assassination attempt would take place and disaster will strike when the lauded leader Gets hit. gets You know, I was thinking um, many years ago, it's amazing how as technology advances and how we read uh, Revelation, how sometimes these things start to come into sharper focus. But I'm sure we all, well, all of us have mobile phones and well, they're good and they're bad, aren't they? They're handy and they're a real pain sometimes. And I don't know if any of you have watched, uh, maybe on Netflix, I think it is, there was a documentary or maybe a film made one time. I think it's called Social Dilemma. And it goes into the whole makeup of a smartphone and the agenda behind a smartphone. And actually, and most of you will know this, I think most of you have smartphones, uh, however you define a smartphone. But the design of a smartphone is not to be useful. It's actually to keep you coming back time and time again. That's why you have so many notifications on your phone and uh, notifications obviously are important somebody phones you you want to know that they phoned you but I got to be honest with you an awful lot of the time in the study my mobile phone goes into do not disturb and there's about three numbers that can come through one's my good wife and maybe my mum and uh, that's really it and unless there's an absolute emergency I don't get the call and funnily enough in my two and a half years here so far, I haven't received a call of that magnitude yet. Some sort of emergency where I've had to drop all and go right away. Uh, now that I've said that, something probably will happen. But oftentimes, you don't actually need to run whenever the phone goes off or a notification. But what I was thinking was, today, for example, I have... And maybe you have it too, the Belfast Telegraph app on your phone and and maybe BBC News or whatever app or wherever you like to get your news and you get these push notifications. Yesterday, I think they pushed a notification through, lorry fire on the M2. Whoa, big news, isn't it? But a ping comes through to your phone and, oh, there we go, lorry fire on the M2, that'll not affect me, but it might affect some of you. But they're able to push these notifications through. But years and years and years ago, decades ago, news that happened or things that happened away on the other side of the world might have taken a wee while to come round to where we are at today. But if something happens like it did on Saturday, the early hours of Sunday or Saturday over in Israel, near enough instantly, notifications would ping through in your phone. You know, a terrorist attack in Israel or some other part of the world. And whenever this happens in the future, can't you imagine how everybody's heads will drop to their phone? By the way, next time you're driving through Kilray or any town or anywhere where there's people, keep your eye on the road, of course, but you look at people and I guarantee you, most people will be walking around the town like this. Have you noticed this? They sit and they text, I guess, and I've watched people walking into lampposts. I've watched people walking across the road. I've even noticed people and they're supposed to be supervising their children and they're sitting tapping away, having a clue where we Jimmy is or whatever else way on up the road. Unbelievable. But we're so dialed in, excuse the pun, to the phone and to the device. But what a moment that will be whenever that notification goes out that this, as we will see, this revered, this uh, wonderful leader that has come up to solve all the world's problems has been attacked and how people will react. Maybe it'll be an assassination. The most powerful, the most influential man in the world at that particular time is, as verse 3 says, wounded Uh, To death. Now, there's a couple of views on this, and I'll lay them out before you tonight. Uh, David McKillen and his wonderful book, End Times for Beginners, it's a really, really good book which lays it all out with lots of nice pictures which helps people like me. And he says this it's a hard question and one on which many of the Bible scholars have been uh, divided down through the years. There's two main points of view, assuming that we're talking about a person, and I would hold to that that it is a person. The first view is this that the assassination of the beast or the Antichrist is staged it's staged. It's what uh, the military would call a false flag operation. A false flag operation is basically where uh, one side carries out an attack that looks like it's on itself. In order to give them the premise to go and attack another nation, they'll blame it on somebody else. You want to know what a false flag attack looks like? If you ever have toddlers in the house, they happen all the time. Because one toddler will do something to the other one, and then blame the other one even though they might have done it themselves to get the other one into trouble. I may or may not have done that as a child with a varying degree of success. Maybe that's why my sister lives in another country now as opposed to living near me. But that's what a false flag uh, attack is like. That's the first few. The idea is he's wounded, yes, and it looks horrendous but he isn't killed. And then whenever he comes back, uh, like God-like if you like, if he comes back It makes him appear more uh, wonderful and the story then is able to be spun by the media that he has come back from the dead the second view is that the beast is really assassinated is really wiped out unto death and he truly does die but that god uh, somehow permits him to come back maybe out of the abyss in chapter 11 and verse 7 uh, and then that he is the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth we just read that in chapter 17 and verse 10 through 11. Another commentator, Mark Hitchcock, he's very uh, eminent in these matters. And he writes, he, I believe the Antichrist will truly die and come back to life in a striking parody of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think I mentioned last week about how Satan at his core is an imposter. He's an imitator. He's a counterfeiter. And I made the point that it's wonderful as believers, is it not, to, to know the genuine article. We know the real deal. We know the real Lord Jesus Christ. And at his heart, Satan is a uh, counterfeiter. He's always trying to copy and to uh, come on his own. So that was just a few of the views. But not only is there the wound of the beast, but then there's the wonder after the beast. Look at the latter half of verse three with me. His deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. You see, regardless of those views that I've just given you, and uh, you can take whatever one you would like and not fall out with you about it. But regardless of whatever view you take, whether it was staged and he wasn't as wounded as appeared or whether he genuinely is killed and comes back, what happens? The most important thing here to understand is all the world wondered after the beast. In other words, it gives him that credibility that he is so desirous of, that he needs. And his delusion is able to continue. Now, I, none of, I know none of you here tonight Will be old enough to remember the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. Maybe some of you are. I'll not. There was a few nodding at me. Dear me, I didn't think you were that bad. But anyway, 1963, and we've all all—I've watched countless documentaries on it and read books about it and all the rest of it. Uh, you're beginning to wonder about the sort of books that I read. Aren't you? This boy's a bit strange. We love to read all these different things. And anybody looking at that footage or even reading the book will have been no doubt the. Terrible atrocity that happened to JFK on that day. But can you imagine if John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, had walked out of Dallas Hospital a number of hours after being shot in the head like that? Can you imagine what the world would have been like even back then? That's the idea. That's the sort of thing that will happen here in verse 3. The world would have been at JFK's feet in a matter of moments they wouldn't have been able to believe what was occurring and as the world will look on in the future at this this beast will be assassinated or as I think would take the line as verse three says as it were wounded to death I think that's very important it gives the idea the text implies it looks like an assassination there is that little alert built into the text is there not as it were in other words there's the veneer of the miraculous over the top of this event but underneath Like everything with the enemy, there's absolute deceit and there's absolute deception. Now, of course, as I mentioned in my opening prayer, everything that we're considering is in the future. Everything that we're considering here, the believer, as we are here, will not have a part of it because we'll have been raptured, we'll have been caught up. But there is an application for us here tonight. Why is that? Well, as I've just said, as it were, that little phrase There will be that veneer of the miraculous, but underneath there's a lot of deception. And you know, that is a wonderful picture of so much that goes on today, even in our land and our society. There is that thin veneer of what looks like legitimacy and truth, and it looks like it's okay. But if you get in below, if you drill down below, you'll realize that it's desperately wicked and it's very very dangerous. See the Antichrist will have that worldwide appeal he will have all the charm he'll have all those different things and the devil's always wanted to imitate God and he'll try to counterfeit all that God uh, was and is and will be. But I don't think we've ever witnessed in our day and generation, and some of you are a little bit more life experienced than me, and I'm sure as you look back to whenever you were uh, maybe growing up as a teenager and as a young person, 20s, 30s, and as you have uh, matured in this life and you have watched the trajectory of this society not improve, maybe improve economically and standards of living, that sort of thing, yes, but morally and spiritually, I don't think anybody could seriously argue that things have improved. We all know where this society is heading. But I also don't think, and you can uh, agree with me or not, I don't think we've ever witnessed such spiritual deception amongst believers in our society today. Now, I'm not talking about you good folks in front of me because you're all switched on. You've all got a bit of discernment, but you look around today and you see, and I see some of the things that some believers, again, not, not you folks, but some of the things that some believers allow into their lives, they allow into their homes, and they allow their children to do, absolutely astounds me. Absolutely astounds me. You know, it's coming up, and it's nearly time for my annual rant about Halloween, and I always enjoy that one. But I cannot believe each and every year it just seems to get more and more prominent and more and more uh, acceptable. And we get parents who see no harm in a bit of trick-or-treating and anything like that. And my response is the very dignified, how stupid can you get? I mean that. Letting your children get uh, numbed and desensitized to that sort of thing. See, the enemy is so charming. He's able to sell a good time better than anyone out there. He'll play in your emotions. Just let the wee children do it. And all the while, you're opening up your children and you're exposing them. To demonic practices. That's what it, that's what it's all about. At the root cause. But we'll move off Halloween, because I want to get to at least verse ten tonight. But we move off Halloween, and there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things about today. A lot of things about yoga and meditation, and the new buzzword nowadays is mindfulness. I've googled the definition of mindfulness, and I still don't really know what it's all about. But it doesn't sound that great. You hear a lot today, different things. Oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. I think there's a verse in Scripture that tells me that the heart is what? Desperately wicked and deceitful. I wouldn't follow my heart. wouldn't trust my own heart. All these different things. You know, I was thinking, the enemy brings a lot of delusion. But praise God, as his children, the Lord brings us what? discernment there's a lot of delusion out there but we can have great discernment because we get it whenever we're saved from the person of the Holy Spirit and we are able to learn what to avoid from uh, the word of God and in prayer deception is a desperate thing we need discernment so much in these days but the second thing that I want to leave with you is not only the delusion of the beast but then there is the drive of the beast what's the beast's motivation what really drives him and what drives people to him? Well, look at verse 4 with me uh, a wee bit this evening. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? You see, the first thing that I want you to see here, very simply, is the worship of the beast. Look at verse 4. They worship the beast. Remember, the, the beast wants to, if you like, deify uh, Satan, he wants people to worship Satan. That's the ultimate aim. Do you know, I read something today which maybe shouldn't shock me as much as it did, but this is from the, the Daily Telegraph. So this isn't uh, something obscure or some strange source. This is from the Daily Telegraph, and it said this. Uh, Britain is the headline. Britain sees surge in Satanism and devil worship. Satanism and devil worship is on the rise in Britain, according to census data released by the Office of National Statistics this week. The 2021 census carried out once every 10 years includes a voluntary question on religion. Among its findings was this, that over a 10-year period, the number of Satanists increased from around 2,000 to over 5,000. It also revealed that a total of 15 babies were given the name Lucifer last year not mad i don't know what that percentage increase is i think it's about 153 percent or so 167 percent increase in 10 years and that's already two years out of date and that's a voluntary question on religion i would i would reckon that most people who pertain to that worldview wouldn't put it on paper but that's the sort of thing that's going on that's the sort of thing that's increasing Uh, benjamin netanyahu Uh, the Israeli Prime Minister spoke in the last number of days and somebody asked him a question what's the difference between Hamas and ISIS and he described them maybe you heard this too and he sort of discounted it he says well they're two branches of the same tree I thought that was a brilliant uh, metaphor but you know what that's actually a perfect metaphor for all false religion and all the systems of the world that are not Christ why they're all branches of the same tree people who pertain to false religion or no religion or they're into the occult or spiritualism or whatever ism you like if it isn't faith in Christ alone it's a branch of the same tree and that tree of deception being Satan itself no wonder as we accelerate towards this time in Revelation 13 do we not see an explosion in this sort of thinking less and less people identifying as Christian And even that uh, definition of the word Christian is very loose. I'm not even sure what what a Christian is anymore by the, the definition that they give it. But is it any wonder that we see, and we will see, a continued acceleration towards this sort of thing, even in the future? There's the worship of the beast, but then look at verses five and six. I want you to see the words of the beast, the words of the beast. And there was given unto him, verse five, a mouth speaking great things, And blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. See, I've already mentioned that he's coming uh, to try and defy the Savior. How does he do that? He's a blasphemer. He can't touch God himself uh, physically, so to speak. So the, the beast is reduced to name calling. And he'll blaspheme. He'll say things that have never uh, been said before. And with uh, a wonderful eloquence, he'll be able to try and turn people away from Christ Jesus and onto his own way of thinking. You know, this world and world history, you you know any sort of history at all, you'll know this world has had some incredible uh, charismatic speakers. People who are able to sway a nation, both good and bad, Uh, coming along at the right time you can think of good examples like uh, Sir Winston Churchill and different things and you can listen back to some of his speeches and certainly at that time in the nation they were very useful and they really stirred up the nation in a good way and they went well you flip that right over to Nazi Germany and there was another uh, very charismatic speaker who dragged an awful lot of people along with him an entire nation of course Adolf Hitler but whenever you think of the beast You have to think of somebody who has all the ability and the charisma of all those great orators of the past rolled into one. This world will never have ever heard somebody like the Antichrist when he goes to speak and people will follow along. He maybe have spent years studying uh, politics and oratory and all those different things. He'll have wonderful negotiating skills. He'll be able to have a magnetic personality, that speaking ability. He'll have charming good looks. It'll make him irresistible to the masses. He'll have political genius. He'll have wonderful diplomacy. He'll have just the right clever leadership. And he'll be able to figure out all those political systems that we thought of last week. And he'll be able to come up with a lovely new administration, and people will just fall for it. He'll be the world's greatest salesman. It's been said that. People don't really know what they want until they're shown it. Well, he'll be able to lay out a perfect plan for world government and he'll make it sound so wonderful. He'll make it sound so safe and secure that people will say, well, why wouldn't we want that? That's the solution, of course. And it'll all be sold with safety and security and prosperity and economic freedom and people will just all fall into line and they'll go for it. An amazing, amazing time. But then there'll be that ultimate blasphemy when he comes to the temple of God. Look at verse six. It says, and he opened his mouth and blasphemed against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Terrible moment of blasphemy when he comes to that temple, presents himself as God. Never forget the little uh, prefix anti simply means against or instead of the Antichrist is, yes, against Christ and all that he stands for. But it's also instead of. He's always trying to replace Christ with himself. He's always trying to engineer the situation where he gets in before Christ, as it were. The worship of the beast and the words of the beast. But look at this. There's the war of the beast in verses 7 through 10. The war of the beast. First of all, look at verse 7. I want you to see an attempt of the destruction of, of the saints. Look at verse 7 and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. You see the Antichrist wants to stamp out, eliminate, eradicate every belief in the one true God. That's his agenda and true believers are going to face a horrible torture and a horrible death and they will be uh, beheaded for the very cause of Christ but then if you look again at verse 7 there's something else that we mustn't miss and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations I want you to see not only the destruction of the saints but there is a domination of society the domination of society. You see, the beast will have global control. We thought about this last week a little bit of how on the national uh, front and on the international front, there's different regions. We thought about the Club of Rome and you can also put in there the United Nations or the European Union or NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement. We have Canada, uh, United States and Mexico all coming together into one sort of political system but I want to develop something a little bit tonight that maybe some of you have heard about and help you to understand because an awful lot of the time people might come to you and say it's impossible it's impossible that one man or one individual would be able to control the whole thing Your nations are never able to get on have you noticed how the media by the way in the last couple of days are portraying what's going on as just some ancient conflict about borders and land Well, we wouldn't expect them to really know what's going on. But from an outsider's perspective, if you weren't saved and you didn't have the insight into Israel and what a special nation it is, if you didn't realize all that, you probably too would be swept along with the propaganda that's going on even in the news today. And you wouldn't realize. And you would just think it's maybe about borders and not getting on and all the rest of it. And from your point of view, you would say, how on earth would one man be able to unite the likes of the Middle East? It's impossible. But i tell you what, are they not, are they not crying out for such a man tonight to solve what's going on in the Middle East? Of course they are. And you may say, how on earth could society ever be dominated by one man? Well, politically, we thought about that, all those different... Uh, levers of government with the club of rome the united nations the eu and naft all those different things well i want to take you and we want to think about the financial system you see there is and you might see this the odd time in the newspapers There was a headline in one of the newspapers recently the war on cash and there is this idea goes about today and you watch out for this they make out that using cash is almost like a dirty thing you pay cash so you don't have to pay your tax and all this different carry-on. And you nearly would wonder sometimes, is cash still a legal tender? Of course it is. Use it. You can delay this whole thing. But there is a war on against cash. You see, if you pay in cash for something, if you go to any one of the local shops here and you use cash, there's absolutely no trace of you buying whatever it is, your chocolate bars and your Mars bars. And then, if you do that, then you know the wife can't see that you've spent that money in the current account when she logs onto the phone. You know that's how it works. I'm just telling you. Give, I've given you some ideas now. Some of you go, "Oh boy, that's, that's what I'll do. I'll just start withdrawing the money, and she'll not know where I'm spending." But if you pay in cash, that's totally untraceable. And can I tell you, government don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that idea. And so, what has happened? There's been this move in the last number of years. It's really accelerated, actually. Uh, during and post COVID, and there is a thing called CBDCs. Have I lost you yet? CBDCs, oh, it's working now. Central bank digital currencies. Okay, now stay with me on this. I find this interesting. Hopefully I can put it across in an interesting way. Right, so generally speaking, nations like the United Kingdom, America, all nations have a central bank and that controls their currency. And up until about the 20th century, most of those currencies were linked with something of real commercial value like gold. They're back like, you heard the gold standard. And then the paper note that you get represented the gold that was held in the nation's vaults. I don't think any country has this now. It's known as what's called a fiat currency. And the value ends up at being what you can get for it within the financial system. That's why it goes up and down. It's not linked to a real asset. And then central banks sometimes and I love this term. The odd time then they just turn the printer on and they print off a load more money and they call it quantitative easing. not a wonderful wee phrase for just... Now, time you or I want to go home and print off a few notes, you get in big trouble for it. Don't be at that, carry on. But it's okay for the government to do it. But anyway, so they print off the money and then that reduces the value of money and then you get a wee thing called inflation. Imagine that. What have we all had in this country in the last two or three years. Inflation's going off the charts, but it's nothing to do with this, of course. Now, central banks are different from the like of Santander and First Trust and all these other banks. They don't manage the day-to-day uh, retail use of money. That's different. But the central bank digital currency, and I want to show you something. This is, I'm not making this up. I know that's a bit small. I'll read it out for you. But that is the Bank of England's own website. The Bank of England's own website. And it says this. I'll summarize it for you. A central bank digital currency is money that a country's central bank can issue. It's called the digital or electronic because it isn't physical money like notes and coins. It's in the form of an account on a computer or similar device. Now, that's the key phrase. The Bank of England is the UK's central bank and together with Her Majesty's Treasury, or His Majesty's Treasury, sorry, we are looking closely at the idea of a central bank digital currency for the UK. If we introduce one, we call it the digital pound. The UK and many countries are looking at the idea of a CBDC because there are more ways to pay for things than there used to be. More and more people are choosing to pay electronically rather than notes and coins. Now, here's the thing. Your mobile phone keeps a log of every time you even lift it up. I've just lifted up my phone. That's logged in there in the phone. Every time I unlock my phone, there's a little date and timestamp in there and I even unlock the phone. Every single thing you do on your phone, there's a track that's called the digital footprint. Every transaction that would be made by a central bank digital currency would be tracked and traced. And the way this will be sold in the next couple of years will be, ah, but it's secure and it's safe. And then if there, there would be no fraud because nobody could hide. You know, it's all tracked and traced and it's sound. And people go, ah, that sounds, that, that's a good idea, that there. You know, I wouldn't want my money to go. I'm getting uncomfortable sleeping on it under the mattress at home. I'll just move it into that. It'll be all right. But there's a more sinister element to it. I thought maybe, is this just the Bank of England doing this sort of thing? But I did a bit of Googling and I found out this. Reuters, again, it's not some conspiracy website, you know, that lurks about on the internet, said this, June 2023, study shows 130 countries or 98% of the global economy are now exploring digital versions of their own currencies, with over over half now in advanced development, either at pilot or launch stages, a closely followed study shows. Research by the US-based Atlantic Council published on Wednesday, said that significant progress over the last six months meant that all G20 countries, with the exception of Argentina, were now in the advanced phases of implementation. So it's just sitting there, ready to go. So you might think, okay, a central bank digital currency, what nurse earth has this got to do with Revelation 13, and verse 7? Well, I'll tie it in, I'll show you this. China has what's called a social Credit system. Maybe some of you have heard of this. And the social credit system is a broad framework and it reports on the trustworthiness of individuals, just like you and me, or corporation, or government entities across China. You might say, what on earth is a social credit system? Well, the social credit system in China gives an assessment of an individual's trustworthiness or how well they behave. Now, bear in mind, China is what? A communist country. So the Chinese social credit system basically exists like this. You could get a poor social credit score and it can affect where you're allowed to travel. It'll affect employment uh, prospects. It'll affect whether you can get access to finance whether you can actually have a bank, even in China, or the ability to enter into business contracts. On the other hand, if you have a positive credit score, social credit score, you can do all sorts of things. Now, what sort of things might result in you getting a bad social credit score? This is true. An individual not visiting their parents on a frequent basis. That gets you marked down in the social credit system. Walking a dog without putting it on a leash. Smoking in a non-smoking dog. Oh that will not affect any of you. You've all stopped that since I came here. Jaywalking. Now these are relatively minor things as we would look at them, but they result in a negative credit score. Now, what's a social credit system got to do with the central bank digital currency? Look at the article, Ian from LinkedIn. I think that's fairly reputable, and that's other articles too online. And China's looking to integrate or mesh the two things together so we had in in our own country here and I don't know all the details pertaining to this so I'm uh, I don't I could be wrong but uh, Nigel Farage I'm sure you heard in the news was debanked a number of weeks ago where they were going to withdraw his the bank that he was with was going to withdraw and there was a whole row about it and there's a few resignations and again I don't know I'm not over all the detail of it He certainly claimed he wasn't doing anything wrong other than he's obviously very outspoken and he has his particular views and he reckoned it was the establishment against him. And that may or may not be the case, I'm not sure. But do you not see the trajectory of this? You step out of line in China, you don't visit your parents enough, you jaywalk, you don't walk the dog on a leash, more minor things. Or what if you were in China and you dissented against the government? I'm pretty sure that's going to result in a negative social credit score. Everything cut off. No access to finance, no access to the bank, not able to get food. We still have cash, we're okay. But if there's no cash, total control, no hope, no freedom. Then people say, how on earth could this one individual run the whole world system on his own? How could you ever get that amount of control? Do you not see how easy it would be? if it was all digitized and there was no more cash. And that's the trajectory of it. You remove cash, you remove freedom. You implement a digital currency, it's traceable. You integrate your social credit system, no more debate, no more stepping out of line. You can see how easy it would be to blend that together. And by the way, who decides what a worthy social credit score is? Who decides if it's a positive or a negative? It's the state. It's the state. You could be blacklisted, uh, no access to money or your freedom. How easy it would be if the world financial system was all under the one digital umbrella. The groundwork is being set. Look at verse 7. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. As soon as it goes digital, there's no way back. Well, let's move on. Not only was there the domination of society, but look very briefly with me at verse 8. There's the delusion of sinners and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You see, as I mentioned earlier, this ties in with the earlier verses as we move closer and closer to this time which is yet future and we'll not be part of it but as we move closer and closer to this time we'll see more and more uh, satanic worship and occult activity and witchcraft and all sorts of things starting to accelerate as we head towards that time then the Antichrist will uh, oppose and try to exalt himself above God and all the people as we've read there in verse 8 all those that will worship the Antichrist will be uh, they'll not be believers whose names have been written in the lamb's book of life it's been said by one commentator the devil does not want casualties but he wants converts and that's the sad reality of this time that they will be totally deluded but then look at verse 9 there's something else there's a deliberation that needs to happen for the the sinners look at verse 9 nestled in in verse 9 amongst all this control and chaos and everything else what is there there's a little bit of deliberation. He, If any man have an ear, let him hear. You see, verse 9 comes in at a critical moment in the tribulation period because the, the beast, his dominion has become absolute. His influence uh, permeates the entire globe. He's controlled politically, financially, everything, uh, spiritually almost. He's just totally in control and there's nothing that can be done, as it were, against him. Anybody that tries to resist him Any religious people, dissidents, as it were, that try to resist them will end up paying with their life. And we'll come to that in due course, maybe next week or the week after we think about the mark of the beast. But did you notice that little phrase, if any man have an ear, let him hear. I mean, where have we heard that before in the earlier chapters of Revelation. Do you remember in uh, the seven churches and those messages to the seven churches when Christ was given those messages, Revelation 2 uh, through Revelation 3, each message concluded with the appeal, he that hath an ear, let him hear. But there's a little bit more in those earlier chapters. It said, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And Jim Allen highlighted this, and I thought it was wonderful. He said this, of verse 9, the absence of this final sentence, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, signifies a shift in the dispensation, indicating that the churches are no longer present on earth during this period. You never read of the church in these chapters. When was the last time we thought about the church in this study of Revelation? We haven't thought about the church for a long number of chapters. Why? the church does not go through the tribulation it's gone we'll be caught up not caught out there's a lot of people today will try and tell us that the church will go through the tribulation now it may go through trouble and trial in this in this age of grace this dispensation but it won't go through the tribulation period then quickly to, to wrap this up look at the determination for the saints look at verse 10 He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. What's this all about? Well, this is an assurance. Charles Ryrie says, This is an assurance that God will punish evildoers and sustain the faith of those who are persecuted during these days. In other words... Uh, Just like it's comprehensively summed up Galatians 6, 7, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You see, the beast has a a hatred for Israel and believers and he'll introduce all sorts of unjust punishments, ultimately ending in death. And he'll revert, revert to all sorts of terrible things. But he either doesn't want to think about it or he doesn't know about it. But his actions will have consequences. And God is not mocked. And there's a wonderful confidence that will be given to the believers in that time. Because it's a divine principle that's clear. For even us as believers today. That sometimes as believers we face the unjust actions of sinful men. And they're very much in the wrong. And we might be in the right so to speak. But what do we have to do? We have to leave our case with God. We have to, as we would say, we have to leave it with the Lord. We, we cannot uh, retaliate as such. We can't take up the sword ourselves. And there's many a the time we'd love to take up the sword ourselves and just sort it out ourselves in our own way, wouldn't we? But we can't do that. We have to bow to the will of God and however painful it is, we have to allow the Lord freedom to avenge his own and be in keeping with the cry of the martyrs. That isn't an easy thing to do. Because sometimes in this life and in this world, the actions of unbelievers can really wound you, can really hurt you. And you sometimes feel as a believer, you're a bit of a soft touch because you have to let a lot of things go in order to maintain a testimony. But as verse 10 tells us, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. It's a wonderful assurance. Charles Ryrie said, "You know, the Christ is coming, and the wrongs of earth will finally be righted. Every wrong will be made right, and I can't wait for that day. It's going to be a wonderful time. The darkest hour before the dawn, for a blood-stained earth, is the endurance and the faith of the saints, which will stand out most clearly. Do you see the destruction of the saint? Did you see the domination of society? There's the delusion." Of the sinner, for the sinners, deliberation for the sinner, and then the determination for the saints. I trust that God will write His word clearly upon our hearts even.